Yo, 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 welcome to the Path of Revelation show. I'm your host, Gabriel Parker, and this is where the culture meets scripture. It's about to go down, y'all. I'm excited, super excited. I have a great show ahead for you guys. I'm going to be discussing why people leave Christianity. I think this is a very, very important topic. But before I get into that, I want to encourage you guys to visit pathofrevelationnow.com. Go check out the blogs, check out the music videos, check out new music from us as well. Um, If you are listening by way of podcast, this is, of course, episode eight. But if you have missed previous shows and you listen are listening by way of radio, you can look us up on your podcast apps. You know, you can go to your Apple store. You can go to Google Play. However you listen to your podcast, just look up Path of Revelation podcast. I highly recommend it. And make sure you subscribe so you get notifications the moment a new episode is released. But listen, I want to discuss why people are leaving Christianity. It seems like people are leaving by the droves. I've had conversations with close associates and friends who used to identify as Christians and they no longer are in the faith. And it breaks my heart because I feel like a lot of times we, the church, shy away from having this conversation and we don't like to approach it objectively with 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 the outlook of what can we be doing better to serve people. A lot of times we just put everything off on the person that's walking away from the faith and say things like, oh, they just they're just rebellious or they have an off spirit or they don't want God. And I believe there's truth to that. But I don't believe that response in and of itself does this topic justice, because I believe responses like these remove responsibility from ourselves and what we can be doing better to serve people and how we love people. Are we loving people? Are we making disciples? What are we actually teaching people about God? And so I really want to examine these things and really deal with what we as the church can be doing better so we can avoid people walking away from the faith. But listen, I want to play a quick interview of Lisa Gunger talking about why she and her husband, Michael, walked away from Christianity. For you guys who have no idea who Lisa Gunger is, she is a former Christian contemporary artist, Grammy nominated. She and her husband, Michael, both have solo work, but they also come together to form the group Gunger. They served as Uh, worship pastors at a church actually here in Michigan and she's talking about what led them to walk away from Christianity and I want to play this interview because I believe it is a good representation of why most people walk away from Christianity so let's hop right into it and I don't own the rights to this interview in order to belong into this in this tribe you have to conform and if you have doubts you're a dangerous person how many leaders have been built up in these mega churches that fall because the pressure is just too much? And as I look back, we were two kids like trying so hard to get it right. My name is Lisa Gunger. I'm a recent author. I'm a musician and a songwriter. My mom and I found this wild church. They called themselves the Holy Rollers. And from the moment you walked in, it was loud. People were like running around the church. I just think it's awesome. So while a lot of people think it's crazy, filled with crazy people, I I loved it and I was in. I ended up going to college and I start dating this boy who's like super Christian. We get married really young. We're too young to even rent a car when we're married. We didn't drink or cuss. So we end up getting a job at a really big church in Michigan. And this church was the size of a mall. I mean, it's huge. There's about 10,000 people. We built a house out in the country. They paid for our car, for our gas. They paid for Michael's school. We were 20 years old, and we had this, this dream job. We didn't have sex with each other before we were married. 
we waited to kiss, we did it all right, we had this transactional idea of God and that's why we landed this really great, awesome job. We started trying to get pregnant and we couldn't get pregnant. And people would tell me, well, just pray and believe, like, just say it and it will happen. And I thought, I just don't know how that can be true. We were traveling the world, we were going overseas and playing to sometimes 60,000 people <laughs> in arenas. The more we ran into other people's stories, the more we started doubting what we'd been given. And Michael and I took this trip in Europe from Rome. We took trains up to Krakow. We visited the concentration camps. We walked through the crematoriums. And it's real hard to come back to America and pray for something when you have these images of people's hair in piles and children's shoes in piles. Your ideas on what a good God is can change pretty dramatically. So I came back and, and found myself trying to pray for us to have a baby or pray for our church or pray for these different things. And I just kept thinking about the concentration camp and how my whole perspective on my faith has been a transaction. If I'm good enough or if I pray enough, if I believe enough, then I get blessings and I get a baby or a good life. It's not how life is. We all have this perspective on who was in and who was out. For Michael and I, that began to change slowly. You have to conform, and if you have doubts, you're a dangerous person. I remember looking around going, what am I doing here? What am I building with my life? We realize we're no good for this place that we're at because our ideas have changed so much and that we needed to leave. I started weeping and crying and freaking out, going, what are we doing? We don't know what we're doing. Do you realize what we just left? Like, we left all of our security. And we started becoming heretics, you know. We go to Denver. We end up starting a little house church in our apartment. Our whole goal for it was that it was inclusive and that it was vulnerable and that it was this place that we had always dreamed of church being. More questions and more doubt. Uh, were arising for Michael and I. Our like heretic levels kept like shifting and changing and like kind of one upping each other. <laughs> Eventually Michael and I, we get pregnant and I was really glad for that because it didn't feel like our daughter was this answer, right? Like we really went through this trial and this suffering and now we're getting this baby girl. Our ideas of God are deconstructing. What is it that we still believe? But Michael looks at me and just says, I. I don't believe in God anymore. Like, I can't believe any of it. And he just ends up like talking more. And I, I remember just like freezing in my whole body because there's always been, I was okay with the questions, but I wasn't okay with, with that. I end up getting pregnant again, and we go through a whole tour with me being pregnant. And for Michael, he feels all this freedom in atheism because he's not struggling anymore. For me, I'm feeling all this anxiety because I want him to believe a certain thing and I want myself to believe a certain thing. And, we're, and I'm still just struggling hard to belong and to be okay. And I ended up having to quit a tour early because I'm having, our baby's having difficulty growing. She's born a month and a half early. She's just beautiful and like with our first daughter we're both crying it's just this beautiful beautiful moment and and then she turns blue I remember this nurse coming over and she's like shaking and looking really worried and she tells us our daughter has Down syndrome and so then the days that follow we find out that Lucy has two heart issues and she has to have heart surgery that her second day of life and then she has to have another heart surgery when she's six months old everything really changed for me. So I feel like this story that I've been living my whole life kind of came to this climax with Lucy's birth. When Lucy was born, we had this huge social media blow up. Um, and there's stories in magazines and um, all over the internet about our heresy. And we were completely pushed out of the church world, of this tribe that we really loved, and really painful and devastating it so many times. Looking back on all of it, I'm deeply grateful for all of the things that happened. And I don't want what we used to have. We live in a different headspace now. It's a completely different perspective. And the, the connection I feel with my daughters 
There's no us versus them. There's no you and I. There's no winners and losers. Part of my dream is that people wouldn't be so afraid and so scared. I know a lot of people are still in this very conservative, fundamental bubble, and, and they can be so afraid to break out of that from fear of what will happen to their lives. And this, can, this happens in any religion. So my dream is that we're not so afraid. So, okay, so that was the interview with Lisa Gunger talking about how she and her husband left Christianity. And man, these, these, type, of, the, these type of topics and this particular topic is so dear to my heart because I have such a passion for souls and sound doctrine. And I, and I believe apologetics is an area where the church really lacks in. And so before I hop into the responding to Lisa, specifically responding to some of the things that Lisa said in her interview, I want to say this. I, I believe people usually leave Christianity for two reasons, primarily. The first reason is miseducation. They were taught Christianity wrong. They were taught the fundamentals of the faith wrong and their expectations. They were given the wrong expectations of what it means to be a Christian or what it means to live as a believer. Hosea chapter four, verse six says, my people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. And, and, and so I don't think it's because people aren't getting knowledge. I believe it's people are getting the wrong knowledge. They're not being taught the right things. I believe the combination of many churches inability to answer the hard questions and people feeling manipulated by bad teaching, it ultimately leads to them leaving the faith. It ultimately leads to them saying, you know what? This isn't real. This isn't this isn't answering or giving me an answer that suffices to what I'm seeing and what I'm dealing with. Verse two, um, the second, I'm saying verse two, but the second point, the second reason why I think most people leave Christianity is because they felt condemned for their sin or they felt condemned for being honest about their doubts and their shortcomings. Or if they have or if they're having and I think this ties into the hard questions thing as well. You know, I've you know, sometimes when we in the church, when we don't have the ability to answer certain people's doubts about our faith, because we don't know our faith, we don't know how to defend our faith. We we label people as being rebellious. Or we, 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 we label people as having the wrong spirit because we're not able to answer their questions. And so we make them feel wrong for feeling the way that they feel. When in actuality, a lot of people need help walking through how to make sense of this, uh, of Jesus and the Bible when everything that I'm seeing is the opposite of what I'm being taught, if that makes sense. And so I think, man, I believe we see instances like a Michael and Lisa Gunger all too, all too often because of a lack of sound doctrine in the American church. I believe it's because we have a more man-centered approach to God than a God-centered approach to God. You know, one of the first things that Lisa talked about in, in as the interview began to start, she talked about how how she and her husband had a transactional view of God. And she began to go on and talk about how they lived for God as singles and that they didn't kiss and have sex until they were married and how she felt that since she and her husband had did what they were supposed to do, that now basically God owed them a child. And how and she talked about how 
when it was when they were trying to have their first child and here's the miseducation part she talked about how the people around her told her to just begin to speak it just speak it and it'll happen and and i think this is a miseducation of reaping what you sow you know and 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 i want to be clear because this is so important and we always talk about reaping what you sow hey sow good seeds and you'll reap you know galatians 6 and 9 says and let us not be weary of well-doing and well-doing for in due season we will we will reap if we do not faint or if we do not give up uh luke i believe chapter 6 verse 38 says man you'll you'll reap when you when you sow you know you'll reap pressed down shaken together and running over and and i've heard entire sermons preached on reaping and sowing in this manner but i think where the miseducation comes in is we tell people that they're going to reap what they sow but we don't tell people the truth that we do not get to choose when we reap or how we reap i'm going to say that again it is true that we will reap what we sow whether we sow into the flesh and reap corruption or sow into the spirit and reap of the spirit eternal life as the bible says but the reality is we don't get to choose when we reap or how we reap and here's another thing that we don't tell people the reality that not we're not good some things we won't reap here on earth that means you can pray and fast and you know cry out to god as much as you want but if it's not his will it won't happen and so this is the sovereignty of god his sovereign plan and will that he's he he knows better than us and 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 he 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 gives us as it is according to his will not our will and so where do i have examples of this in the bible when we look at moses moses never saw the promised land he prophesied about it he 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 was leading the people to get there but moses didn't even see the promise that he was that he was promised at least in this life he didn't go into the promised land abraham i'll make you a father father of many nations abraham was prophesied <clears throat> prophesied to of the coming of the the the, the coming of Christ. The Bible says Abraham rejoiced to see his day. But Abraham did not see the fulfillment of Christ. He didn't see. He didn't see. His name or his lineage become a great nation. He died. He didn't see that promise. Yes, he sojourned in the promised land. And so what I'm saying, there's certain promises you will see here on earth. And there are certain promises you will not see until you're dead and you're spending eternity with Christ. When we look at the apostles, they didn't get mansions and become wealthy here on earth. They they served Christ and, and suffered willfully for the name of Jesus. And and all of the apostles, except for Judas, who killed himself and John who 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 died a, um, a natural death but all the other apostles died and were martyred for the faith did they reap what they sow yes they reaped but they reaped in eternity and they suffered proudly for the sake of Jesus here on earth because he was their prize he was their joy he was their peace. He was their exceeding great reward. And there 
there's a reality that some things we will not reap until eternity. But I think it's a form of miseducation when we lead people to believe that God owes us something. Where God doesn't just exist for us to serve him, but God exists to serve us. And so it's like a transactional, it's a, it's a corrupted transactional view of God where God, you owe me something when in reality, God doesn't owe us anything. God doesn't owe us anything, but he gives to us, um, from out of, out of a, from a place of grace and mercy, his grace and mercy. Cause really at the end of the day, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and we deserve death. And so everything after that, that isn't that is grace and mercy. But when we we live and I think this is a part of miseducation that takes place in the church, we treat God like he's a genie. And when things don't go according to. How we planned based off of the time that we look, you know, because we look at what we've done, you know, something Lisa mentioned, you know, we live for God. We didn't even kiss until we were married. We didn't have sex until we were married. We were living as Christian singles. And so now God owes us this. And 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 unfortunately, this is how we teach God in many churches. That God owes us. God owes us this. God owes us that. And so we encourage people to speak things into existence, even though the Bible in Romans 4 and 17 says that it is God who speaks things into existence. We tell people to have faith and and trust God for it and just keep speaking it and it will happen. And what happens is when people don't get their healing or when people don't get get the child that they're believing God for or the or things get worse. We tell people that it's because they don't have enough faith. Oh, oh, it's not happening because you're doubting. There's there may be some doubt still in that area. Even though Jesus, even though Jesus said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, I've seen people with faith the size of a watermelon still not get what they were believing God for. I've seen people not get what they were at necessarily believing and asking for. And they clearly had works to verify their faith. And, I, and, and I'm and I'm not saying that God isn't a miracle worker and that God doesn't answer prayer. That's not what I'm saying. I've seen God do the miraculous. I've seen God heal people of cancer and people who were given a bill of death, come back to life and and come back strong. And it was clearly a miracle. But what I'm saying is a lot of times we look for prayer or we're taught prayer from a standpoint of changing our situation versus prayer changing how we view God in our heart. We're not really taught taught prayer and and seeking God from a standpoint of seeking God for him. We're taught seeking God for him and the things that we want. And, and, and God isn't enough by himself. And so when things don't go our way, we're upset. We feel manipulated because we begin to realize we were miseducated and that what we were taught isn't actually lining up. And one of the things that I find happens, unfortunately, in situations like this is I've learned bad teaching often leads to worse teaching. What am I saying? The people that leave Christianity when they don't deal with the bitterness that they have in their heart towards the church and their former leaders, they end up going into worse false doctrine. They end up joining different courts and different beliefs. And now they go from one extreme to another and and they and they think now, hey, I found my truth or I found the truth because what I was in previously wasn't it. I see it all the time. 
And so it is a miseducation and people often feel manipulated. And and another problem I think that helps aid in helping people leave Christianity is I believe we have a problem of putting people in leadership within the church based on their talent, their looks and charisma, and not their fruit and spiritual maturity. And what happens is as soon as as these people we put in leadership begin to depart from the faith and struggle with their faith, they begin to lead others astray with them using the platform that we help them build. And because the church is values music and entertainment more than sound doctrine, we keep hiring these people and we keep them in positions as long as we can because they they help fill the seats because they're talented. But they're on Twitter and Facebook and they're in these radio interviews and they're saying any and everything and they're leading people away from God because they never had a solid foundation themselves. And so we're witnessing many Christian artists and musicians and Christian performers become the voice of apostasy, leading an exodus away from biblical Christianity to a more cultural, seeker-friendly version of Christianity that is not biblical. You know, I used to always wonder, how can we sing so passionately about a God we do not know? And then I realized that emotionalism often seeks to imitate an authentic move of God, that emotionalism often seeks to imitate an authentic move of the Holy Spirit. And so we have babes in Christ and non and, and false converts leading our congregations in worship and preaching these motivational messages. And they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. They never had a foundation in Christ, a true foundation in Christ, because it begins to come out when they're on these platforms and they're before the world and how the Bible says that, you know, when you're brought up before the magistrates in the world, that when you don't know what to say, that he will give you what to say in that hour. But we watch as when they're in these interviews and they're asked questions about homosexuality and sin, instead of standing on what the Bible actually says, they begin to shy away and they are ashamed of the word of God. And we know Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you before my father in heaven. And so these people have positions in the church and they begin to doubt in their faith and 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 a lot of their doubts are foundational doubts they didn't have a solid foundation in the gospel they didn't truly know christ and so they begin to lead other people astray and so we we have to give people time to actually grow before we put them on stage with a microphone in their hand it's almost like man soon we can't wait to get put a microphone in people's hands when they're talented. It's like, man, oh, oh, that this person was an amazing rapper in the world. They can be great. They can be used greatly for the kingdom of God. Hey, he just, he been saved but five days. Here, I need you to rap this song or I need you to lead us in worship. And they don't even know what they're singing about. They don't even know enough about the God that they're singing about. When we look at Paul, Apostle Paul, Apostle Paul, when he first got saved, he sat down for three years. Now, this is a person who was studied in the law. He was like the poster child for Judaism. 
He persecuted the church, the Christian church. And he and so he had a skill for teaching and demonstrating faith prior to conversion. And so he could have easily, as soon as he got saved, started preaching and teaching right away. But he sat down for three years so he could learn and actually grow in the Lord. The Bible talks about letting patience have her perfect work. And so we have to let people grow and allow patience to have her perfect work. People haven't even been went through anything yet. They just named them. They just said they, they are Christian and they named the name of Jesus. And we put a microphone in their hand and they haven't been through nothing yet. They haven't been tested. They haven't been really tried. And so they begin to go through as they're in the platforms that we put them in. And this is why James chapter three, and I'm going to say this so I can move on to the next point. But James chapter three in verse one says, not many of you should become teachers. My brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, or in other words, he's qualified to talk about what he's talking about, able also to bridle his whole body. And so, in other words, we 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 have to be we have to be qualified to talk about what we talk about. We have to be qualified is what James is talking about. But we have people in positions of leadership who are not qualified. They're just talented. And, and, I've, and I've heard the excuse said by many Christian artists, and, and, and a lot of times we give them a pass. I've heard them say things like, well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not an elder. I'm just a singer. I'm just a, I'm just a musician. But when I look in the Bible, all of the singers and the musicians were not just singers and musicians. They had, they, they, they had a higher standard. They were accountable to the word of God. They were priests and they were prophets. They were sanctified. They were, they were to live holy. But we live in a culture that says, hey, man, you could just be a singer. You don't have to really be spiritual to be able to sing. And that's the problem because some of our singers and musicians are some of the most carnal people in the church yet they have some of the biggest positions in the church and so what happens is they say man i'm not a preacher or a teacher but but here's the thing the moment you have a platform and the moment you have a microphone in your hand and and people are actually listening to what you 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 say you you are responsible now people are listening but but we use these excuses oh, i'm not a teacher i'm not a preacher and, 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 and we as artists say these things to remove accountability and responsibility from what we do and say. And so now once we're not respond now, now once we remove the accountability and responsibility of us being responsible for our words, now we can get in these interviews and say just crazy stuff. And we'd be like, oh, no, nah, man, I, I probably wouldn't have said that. But hey, they're just a singer. And we just give them a slap on the wrist like, hey, you know. Or or when we begin to affirm godless or ungodly artists and partner with the world and begin to blur the lines of what it actually means to live and function as a Christian. Oh, they're just an artist. It is helping lead people away from biblical Christianity and what it really means to be saved. This stuff is serious. It's extremely serious. And so when we look at the rest of James chapter three, right after this, it goes into the power of life and death is in the tongue. We always apply that this, this chapter to speaking things into existence. And that's not what it's talking about. Is talking about how 
our words. We have to be responsible with our words and how you can't bless one minute and then curse the next minute and how our words have the ability to lead people into blessings or towards the things of Christ or lead them into cursings by leading them away from the things of God and how our our, our words and our our tongue has the ability to shape our thought process as well as other people's thought process. And the Bible lets us know as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. I think that when we look at Lisa and Michael's situation, you know, I believe it represents the danger of the foundation of our faith in God being an emotional experience and not really being rooted in his word. I've learned the word of God helps us make sense of our emotions and the evil that this world throws at us. Proverbs chapter three, verse five through six says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. He will make straight your paths. And so when I when I think about what Lisa mentioned, she talked about how their second daughter, there was complications with the birth and, you know, and how she and her husband traveled around the world singing to thousands of people. But they began to observe the evil in the world and how how many people were actually suffering. And she talked about how they visited the concentration camp in Caraco and they begin to see how many children and women and innocent children and men and women suffered and were killed. And and so it made her question her faith. And is God really good if he allows this to happen? And listen, we have to give people a space to be able to ask these type of questions and I and I believe these are some of the hard questions that we struggle with being able to answer for people and I believe we struggle with the with hard questions like these because we've made our theology so much about what we can get on earth and so when people don't see the manifestations of what we're teaching And what we're promising them, it reaffirms their doubts. Colossians 3 and 2 tells us to set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. 2 Timothy 2 verse 3 through 4 says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. And so, in other words, we don't get distracted by the evil that we see and and what's going on around us because we recognize that our focus is to be on pleasing Christ. We understand that as Romans 8 And verse 18 says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not even worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And so our focus needs to be on things that are eternal, because if they are not, we will become more convinced of what we see than what we're supposed to know, which is eternal. I think we wrestle with the reality of the wickedness and evil we see every day. That it makes us doubt the promise of eternal joy and peace in him that we cannot see. And so the Bible says we are to walk by faith and not by sight. And I and I know that 
can be easier said than done. But I believe this is why we need the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit, it reaffirms the faith in God that we can't see with our natural eyes. Jesus said before he, in, in John 15 and 16, before he ascended, he says, I'm going away. He says, but I won't leave you comfortless or I won't leave you helpless. But I am going to send the comforter, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, and he will lead and guide you into all truth. And he will testify of me. In other words, he will testify and, and affirm in your hearts that Jesus, that I am real and that my promises are yea. And that and that what you are dealing with right now and what you see, though it be horrific, it is not to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed. And so we need the Holy Spirit. First, John four and four says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. In other words, the evil and the things that you see, the evil and wicked men that you see and what in the policies and the things that are happening, the death, he says, what you have inside of you is greater than that. We need the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit, it shifts our focus to a hope that goes beyond what we can see with our natural eyes that is more just as real and more real than what we're seeing with our natural eyes. And so when I think about why does evil, why does the evil in, in the things that we're seeing are, are being allowed in this world, I have an understanding and we have a foundation that's being put in us that the things that we see that are evil are not to be not to pull into question whether or not God is good or not, but it is a reflection of the fact that we are in a fallen world that needs Christ. That when Adam sinned, the Bible says when Adam sinned, sin entered into the world and, 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 and sin brought death, the curse. And so though we see the evil and we see innocent children dying and people being killed and it doesn't mean that God isn't good. We have to have an eternal perspective when it comes to these things. But my concern is when we have instances like Lisa and her husband and, and I want to be clear, like this, this, these type of things are valid concerns. There are times when I'm going through life and I'm not, you know, and I look and be like, man, God, where are you at? But I cannot lean to my own understanding. I can't lean to my, my emotions because my emotions will deceive me. The Bible says in, in Jeremiah 17 and 9 that the heart is deceitful. And desperately wicked above all things who can know it and so your heart will lead you against faith in the word in the word and so having an understanding that we live in a fallen world but what we see is not even to be compared to eternity and the glory and the joy that shall be revealed I was I'm reminding of a a pretty cool analogy that I watched Francis Francis Chan do. He took a rope, a long rope. This rope had to be like 25 feet long. And on this long, this long rope, he colored the tip of it red. And so probably only four inches of the rope was colored red, the tip of it. But the rest of the rope wasn't. And he said, 
this red part of the rope represents our life on earth. And the Bible says that our life is but a vapor. We're here and then we're gone. He said this red part represents our life on earth and the rest of the rope represents eternity. He says so many of us get get wrapped up in the red part that we're not even focused on the biggest part and that's eternity. And so as I read Second Timothy where it says, don't be entangled with civilian affairs. Don't be no soldier that wharf entangling himself with the affairs of this life. We have to shift our perspective towards eternity and realize, yes, there are things that are going to happen in the earth that are jacked up. But we are to be soldiers for Christ. We're in a war. See, we're not teaching people that they're actually in a war. We're not teaching people that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through who? Through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And so because we're not teaching people these things, they're crying about their strongholds instead of going to war against them because they're not being equipped. And then we look up and they've walked away from Christianity because they never knew who who God said they were. They were presented a God who is Santa Claus. And when Santa Claus didn't deliver. You find out, you know, it's like adults. We find out at some point in time when we were kids, you know, we believe Santa Claus was real. Some of us believe Santa Claus is real. And then you got to an age where you're like, man, he ain't real. <laughs> and we treat God like Santa Claus and we get to a place where because we've been taught the wrong thing that we treat God like Santa Claus and it's like oh he's not real anymore or that or who they say is God isn't their God isn't real and these people begin to leave Christianity because miseducation and our inability to defend the faith. And we put people in positions that they're not qualified for. And so there becomes a cycle of immature or false convert leaders producing immature and false converts. We're reaping what we sow. We're reaping what we sow. And so. The last part is, and, I, and, and, I, and the reason why I didn't spend too much time on this, because I don't believe this is as big of a reason as we make it sometimes in the church. And that's condemning people for their sin. And don't get me wrong, I understand this, is, this can play a big part in why people leave Christianity, being condemned for their sins, not being loved on. But I think if we are stick to sound doctrine, We'll love people right. We'll teach people how to love. We won't condemn people. We'll actually do life with people. And we will teach them the importance of knowing Christ. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection, as Paul said. And we will see a generation of people who are on fire for God and souls coming to Christ. And I believe we're seeing it now. I believe it's happening already. Like I said on the previous episode, I believe we're in a time where God is clearing the fence. He's separating the wheat from the tear. The people who are on fire for God, they're on fire for God. And the people who were playing around, they're getting worse. They're going away from Christ. They're dabbling, they're dabbling, dabbling, excuse me, dabbling in false doctrine and they're, they're going full force for the world. And those who love God, love God. And so I pray that what I said was a blessing and that it and that it helps and encourage you to know Christ 
to really know the Christ of the scriptures. And listen, I know this is a controversial topic, but I want you guys to feel free to reach out to me. If you have any questions, you know, this is why I always tell people to write in to me or, or hit me up because I think healthy dialogue is needed in the church. I think this is a part of community and fellowship and discipleship. We need to have these conversations. I think church leadership needs to be equipped in apologetics and how to defend the faith. I think we need to be in touch with the culture and what the culture is actually teaching people while we are making sure that we have a foundation in Christ. And so I want you to go to pathofrevelationnow.com. We have some music videos. We have some some content on there as far as blogs and you can check out the previous if you're listening by way of podcast you can check out the previous shows this is episode eight and also you can email me you can leave me a message asking for prayer asking questions you may want to ask a question about something that you heard on the show or you may want to suggest future topics to be addressed whatever it is I want to hear from you Go to pathofrevelationnow.com. And if you feel the need to donate or want to donate to the ministry, which will help fund future projects, future music and visuals, you can do that as well. But I want to pray for you real quick. And, and, I'm, and I'm big on prayer. You know, I believe we have to have a heart and a mindset of prayer and the word of God and, and live consecrated before God. If we're going to truly know and experience God, but father God, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for every listener. God, I don't take it for granted. I pray God that you would help every listener know you in a true and intimate way. God, that they will know you in the power of your resurrection, God, and every distraction and every form of hurt and manipulation. God, I pray God that you would heal each person of their heart and 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 help them to forgive those who have who have wronged them in the name of Jesus and God I praise you God we glorify you and we thank you God for your wisdom in Jesus mighty name we pray amen you just listened to the path of revelation show and this is where the culture meets scripture <laughs>